Well, if you're new with us, typically what we do here at the Parks Church is we preach through books of the Bible. We are making our way through the book of Acts, but uh, typically at the start of every year in January, uh, we, we, we pause as whatever book we're in and studying. And uh, for the last two years, we've been looking at something near and dear to our heart, and, and that is this idea of whole life discipleship. And, and so today we're into the second week of whole life discipleship series. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be in two primary passages this morning, Ephesians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. So we'll be back and forth uh, between those uh, two. As we look at whole life discipleship and the church. Let me begin Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. And so if you were with us last week, uh, I want to go back and revisit some of the things that are foundational for us to understand as discipleship. Because even as I just say the word discipleship, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard that word. But the way we specifically use it here at uh, the Parks Church is, is this idea of whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. Not just some cliche like church vision statement, but that is our desire and hope in all things here. That God would form in us and shape in us in our whole lives uh, the way that he has called us to. He would bring about transformation in our, in our whole lives, okay? And so here is the goal. We can't understand the how or the what of discipleship until we understand the goal. To know and to see the beauty of our God. To know and to see the beauty of God. That is the goal of discipleship, Okay? That is the goal of our whole life. You say, why is that the goal of discipleship? Well, remember back to Habakkuk 2, uh, verse 14, that God talking to his people says this, listen, you want to know where all world history is pointing? You want to know where this whole thing is headed? Here's where it's headed. It's to the knowledge of my glory filling the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. That's where this thing is headed, right? To the knowledge and to the beauty of God and his glory filling every facet and every fiber. If that is the end goal, then the goal for us right now is that we want every facet and every fiber of our whole lives to be filled with his glory, right? There's not one square inch of this planet or of our lives that is not God's. Thankfully, right, he redeemed every square inch through his son, Jesus Christ, right? Because every facet and every fiber was broken after Genesis 3. But his redemption, he redeems it all. Okay, so the goal is to see and know the beauty of Christ. And so when the gospel becomes alive to us as a, as a church and as individuals, we understand that all of this is God's redeemed for his glory, right? We are shaped and we are formed for his purpose. Now, I want to ask you a question, Christians particularly, this is for you. What place or space have you found the most formational in your walk with Jesus? 
Think about that. In what space or what place have you found the most formational in your walk with Jesus? I'm asking a church question here, right? Like, what has discipled you? What has been the most powerful discipleship mechanism in your life? You see, for spiritual formation for many Christians in large part, hear me, maybe it's found, and some of you have thought of this, they're, they're found in Christian camps. Point to that. Maybe a parachurch ministry like um, Campus Crusade or uh, a Young Life, or you'll point to maybe seminary or, or a schooling, a, a Bible college, or, or a class that you would point to outside of the church. My case that I want to make this morning, because I feel like the Bible makes this case, is that the primary place for discipleship, the primary context for spiritual formation in our lives is the church. Ephesians 3 verse 10, what did it say there? That the manifold wisdom of God is made known through what? It's okay. It's the church, right? Right? The church. It didn't say uh, youth camp. It didn't say this class. It didn't say seminary. All of those things which are good and right and proper. However, the manifold wisdom of God, literally God's manifold wisdom of himself to all things and all peoples is made known through the church. That's a pretty big deal, right? We might need to start with what's the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God is this, is that there was a chasm between us and God because of sin. And that chasm, that nearness, all right, we had a, we had a nearness problem. Adam and Eve were, were nearer to God. There was this fellowship in the garden that was splintered, right, when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 until Christ stepped in and brought us back together with God in fellowship. As long as we have faith and trust in him to do that, he does that. He redeems us. He calls us. He draws us near. And so he then says that wisdom is going to be put on display or shaped and formed in you through the church. Okay, there's two ways of looking at the church. The universal church, what we call the capital C church sometimes, or the local church. Today, what I am focusing on in this big topic of the church is the local church. Okay, it is the local expression. And so when we use the word church, here's, here's what I mean by it. The church is the community of God's people redeemed through Christ, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. So when we talk about the church, that is what we're talking about. The community of God's people redeemed through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. Now hear me, that is Trinitarian on purpose, okay? You know what I mean by Trinitarian? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Go back to that circle graphic that was up there. This is all making sense, right? It's all connected, right? That is the picture of the church because what is at the center is God, right? What is at the center of our whole lives? What is the thing in which we view everything in our lives around? It is our triune God. So back to the definition of the church. The church is the community of God's people redeemed through Christ, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. Because that is what the church is. The local church is the primary place in space which whole life disciples are formed. Our call and our mission is to equip and point people to the fullness of maturity in Christ. You see, I cannot overstress the importance biblically and the purpose of God in the local church, as if Ephesians 3.10 didn't do it enough. Here's what I want you to see about the local church. The local church is where we are, one, sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Built up in the faith. 
faith, 1 Corinthians 14. It is where the gospel is proclaimed, the local church, where Christ reigns as head, Colossians 1. That's exactly what Sam just read. Paul, in the church with Colossians, like I mentioned last week, the way in which he focused the Colossians away from all of the things that were happening in culture, all of their other focuses, all the other things they wouldn't put priority on, he focused them back by what? Focusing and calling them to the preeminence of Christ. And not just individually, but communally. Like as the church, as the group, as the community of the redeemed, he was calling them back to seeing Jesus for who he was, right? The invisible God made known in the visible God of Jesus, right? He's the head of the church, the local church, the capital C church. And so every church shares in four distinctives that make it the primary place and source for discipleship in our lives, okay? For true whole life discipleship. Because for far too long, and I bet in some of you, those mindsets of where you were discipled or you were most spiritually formed, right? The problem with that is that that's not actual full formation. It's not full formation because it was done outside of the church. Now, those things are only as good as they supplement the formation that is taking place in this institution, meaning the local church. Hear me, I'm not knocking those things. I'm not talking against those things. I'm just saying that those cannot and should not be the primary formative mechanism for spiritual whole life discipleship in our lives. That is the role of the church. And what I'm afraid of is what we have seen over the years and years is that the church has kind of abdicated its role as primary discipler to all of these other agencies and places and spaces. And when I read the Bible, the primary place for whole life discipleship is found in the local church. Why? Because that's where God displays who he is. In a community of people, in a family, in a body, in an institution. And what's interesting about the local church is that every local church, because it is uniquely set apart in its primary context... It shares four things, all right? And I didn't come up with these. This was uh, in a book written around this idea of discipleship. But, but there was a piece about the local church I really held on to. And these four distinctives must be true of every local church. And they're unique even about us. That there is a specific place for the local church. Right? Think about this. That, that it, and I'm not talking place as in the impact building brick and mortar, Right? There is a specific place that God has called us as a local expression of his manifold wisdom. That is McKinney, Texas, right? We could even get, get a little bit smaller, right? We meet in a place in the heart of our city in downtown McKinney. Another place that is sovereign. We meet in, we're in McKinney, Texas, right? We meet in the United States, right? We are in a specific context, but I don't want you to just think about even that geographic, but think about over the landscape of time. That God has sovereignly called this community, this local church to be in place in 2021, right? In 2020. And some of you are like, oh, I wish I could have been in the place of like 1963 or something like that. That wasn't God's plan for this local community. That, That wasn't God's plan for this body to be present in displaying his manifold wisdom collectively. Each local church is that expression in their place, right? He didn't put us in Portland. He didn't put us in in Austin. He didn't put us in South Dallas. He didn't put us in Plano. He put us right where we are. He put you right where you are for his plan and for his purpose to display his manifold wisdom. For you to be formed and forming others around you. So there's a unique and specific place with the church. It's also a specific people. Right? I, I think here's where the church language gets hijacked. Okay? 
that in the local context of a local expression, God has not just placed you in a specific place or location. He has put you with a specific group of people. Like, look around, all right? It's going to be like, These are, yes, this is the family he's placed you in. The brothers and sisters, the community of the redeemed, redeemed through Christ, filled and empowered with his Holy Spirit for his mission. That is the specific purpose. That's the third thing. That we are called on mission by Christ and toward Christ. And then we are empowered as a church by God himself. That is what makes the local church unique. Because there is a unique sense of God's presence here. I'm not talking about the universal church. I'm not talking about the capital C church. The universal church is the church of all history since the day of Pentecost until Jesus comes back. You know that, right? I'm talking about this local expression. There is a unique presence of God that is true about this place. There is a unique presence of God when we gather together, which we're going to talk about here in a second. That is why the church, and I'm just making the case here, that the church is the primary context for whole life discipleship to be played out. In other words, if you got nothing else out of this, is that you would understand that you cannot replace the church. You cannot replace the local church. It is irreplaceable. Ephesians, Hebrews, all over the pages of Scripture, right? In a society, in a culture that is wanting to undermine the church, that's wanting to go, you know what? I love Jesus, but I I don't love the church. I was talking with a pastor friend in Oklahoma City, and he was sharing with me a a group that kind of has left uh, his church and, and they're, they're being labeled as the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. Not, we have a family here called the Duns. Not, not that family, okay, but the Duns, all right? The Duns, meaning they're done with the church, right? They see no value in it. They see no beauty in it. They see, you understand? Like that's, that's a lot of the, the things that are swimming around the culture that we find ourselves in. But what is Jesus building here? What has Jesus established as his bride? What is he building? Well, he's building something that is absolutely irreplaceable. And it's irreplaceable if we understand that this is the primary context for true whole life discipleship in our lives. It can never be detached from the local church. It can never be detached from what we're participating and doing here, even this morning. Now, listen to me. When I say the local church, nine out of ten of you will, will just think about what's taking place right now, here in the 75-minute time slot. Now, hear me, that is one sliver of the local church. And I would say that that is one of the things that messes up our view of what the local church is really about. That we overemphasize the gathering of the saints on a Sunday morning. I would say that is that would be the heart of God if God was trying to create an audience. When he's building his church, he's not trying to create an audience. You know that, right? When God is building his church, each local expression, God is building participants. He's building people who he wants to partner with him in advancing his glory. He's wanting to form and shape people who actually see him clearly and see his beauty and call others to that. That's what he wants. That's why the church is irreplaceable, because God goes, listen, this is the agency to which my wisdom is going to be made known to the ends of the earth is the local church. This is many people ask, like, hey, how are you called into ministry? You know, whatever that is. You want to know how I was called into ministry? is I just submitted myself and laid my life down to the local church where men and women could affirm God's calling, God's hand upon my life. 
When I think about being called into ministry, here's simply what I mean, is that God has called my life to be holy and completely devoted to serving the local body, the local church, however he sees fit. But listen, that call to me is not any different than that call to you, redeemed. He has filled you, he has empowered you with his spirit for his mission to call others on that journey and to mature others in Christ's likeness. Listen, the church, the local church is the primary context, must be, for whole life discipleship. If you're outsourcing it or we're outsourcing it, we will have a deformed view of discipleship. Okay, so if it's irreplaceable, here's the second thing I want us to see is this. Is that the local church is not just irreplaceable, it's visible. This is where I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. Pause right Right there, because I don't want to get into the familiar part of this verse before we talk about what just took place right there. So he is talking to a group of people, the author of Hebrews. He's talking about the same thing, really, that's taking place in Ephesians 3, about how we can draw near to God. Like, the problem is we have a nearness issue, right? And sin fractured that. And so now, through Christ, we can draw near to God. And his presence is what we long for and what we need more than anything else. What we just sang about, what we just prayed for. He's going, listen, that is what you need. That is what you need, church. That is what you need, Christ's follower. Okay, how does that take place? If we now have the ability to go to God through Christ, through Christ, right? How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Okay, don't, don't read on. But how would you answer that? How do you draw near to God? Through Christ. Right? Maybe even if you're not a Christian here, maybe you would be answering that from, from a different, thinking about a religion, about how you draw to a, a different God or a foreign God. Like, how is it? Well, maybe you go... Well, it's obedience, like, and it's, 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 it's this or it's that. It's maybe, maybe if you're in Christ, a Christian, you would go, well, it's through prayer and it's through um, worship. It's through uh, disciplining myself in the scriptures, all of which are good and right and amen. But what does the author of Hebrews tell us? Look at the top of your Bible if you have it open. In mine, in the ESV, it says that the little heading um, that they gave was the full assurance of faith. Like, how can we have this assurance of faith? How can we draw near to God? How can we be in his presence through Christ? Look at it. He goes in verse 24, and this is where it gets familiar for most of you. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, see the day, capital D, right? The coming of Christ, draw near. What did he just say there? How do we have access? Through Christ. How do we then get into the presence of God through Christ? You do it together. You see, like the next verses are about Christian community. They're about togetherness. They're about the community of the redeemed being together. And so listen, the particular shape and character of the kind of formation we're talking about in the life of believers is done. Getting to the presence of God is meant to be a collective effort. 
Because that's how God designed it. You say, well, isn't it an individual thing? Well, well, no, it's personal. It's definitely not private. Because here's what God does is he adopts you. He brings you in as sons and daughters and doesn't just put you out on an island. He puts you in a family. That's a beautiful thing. That he places us in a, a community of people with the same mission and the same goal in our hearts. Uh, Paul Tripp and, and Timothy Lane, they said this in their book. He says, when we are in meaningful relationships with one another, we each bring a unique perspective and experience to our knowledge of Christ's love. One person has been rescued from a menacing addiction. Another has been brought through deep suffering. Still another has been sustained by God's grace in a difficult marriage. The list goes on and on. When we gather to share our stories, we see a different aspect of the diamond that is the love of Christ. If the goal of discipleship is to see and to know the beauty of God, it requires us to be in a kind of covenant relationship with one another. It requires us to be in a local gospel community. If we have any hope of being formed the way God calls us to be formed, the local church is necessary. Jesus laid down his life for who? His bride. Who's his bride? The church. The church that is comprised of you and me, the redeemed. And so here is what we look at in Hebrews 10 as the elements or components of what this kind of community looks like, right? It's this ideal community. The first one is this. Look at verse 25. It says that we would not neglect the what? Gathering. The gathering together. Now, here, interesting word. This word is very vague, I think, on purpose, right? It is a very general word. It is a very wide-ranging word, meaning from the formal gathering to informal gatherings. I think that is absolutely purposeful here because the idea here is that we would be gathered in all aspects of our lives. The first century church, we've been through it in Acts, right? They were gathering over meals, praying, sharing things. It was this beautiful collection. Are we called to anything different as it looks in gathering. No. No. Right? That's not going, oh, that, that was good for them, but we, you know, we've kind of, you know, been enlightened a little bit more, right? We don't, we don't necessarily need each other as much. Oh, that's a lie. And even in the Metroplex, listen, we, are, we live in a society, in particularly a city that is created around highways and freeways, right? 635, 35, 30, 75, so that we can what? Stretch out. Spread out and still have the convenience of getting places into different spaces. Now listen, that fights against the community that God wants to create in us. And what we have to do is we have to see that this is meant to be a habitual practice. Hebrews 10 says some of you have lost the what? The habit of getting together. Is your habit to get together and gather with your community of faith? Is that a habit for you? Is that habitual for you? And the answer to that, I hope, is yes. Okay, and I'm going to get to the reason why it's important here in a sec. But I don't just mean in this setting. This is important. This is pivotal. The presence of God is here among us. But I also mean in those other settings. The settings of meals. The settings of, of getting together for prayer. Praxis groups. Bible studies. Classes. Equipping. Trainings. Coffees. Moments of spontaneous prayer. 
And let me be clear, this is not just gathering together and just shooting the breeze as the church. This is not gathering in gospel community just to talk about, you know, the latest and greatest thing or to complain about the, the, the current cultural moment. These are spirit-filled moments of the community that we get together and we seek and center our lives upon Christ. Back to the slide, right? That the formative power of this local community submitted to the Holy Spirit is that we keep coming back to the Lord. We keep coming back to the center. It keeps being the thing to which we view everything in our lives. You remember the measure of what a true disciple is? Right? It's not how many notches you have in your belt, how many Bible studies you've done, or how many classes you've attended, or how many services you've been through. It's how that you and I can connect every fiber and every facet of our lives to the reality of who God is. And a disciple is someone who is growing and growing in that maturity. But we, listen to me, we cannot do that alone. We need one another. We need each other pulling us and calling us and, and stirring us on. That is exactly what he says next in verse 24. He says, consider, consider. What does it mean to be considerate? You know what it means to be considerate? It means that you're thoughtful. In the local church, in the local community of faith, it should be a group of people who are considerate about one another. The word literally here means to think deeply, to stop and to reflect about someone else. How often do you think about someone else's spiritual growth and well-being at the Parks Church? Maybe I would take that a step further. If you can't even identify a name, and I'm talking if you're part of this church, okay, of someone that you are considering their health, spiritual health and well-being, there's an issue. Do you evaluate your life and your behavior in light of someone else's spiritual vitality. Hear me. Whole life disciples are not only seeking their own spiritual health, but the spiritual health of the whole family. The whole family. The whole community. How can I consider? Maybe this is the question you need to ask for you this week. How can I consider and participate in seeing someone else grow in their walk with Jesus? How can I show and display the beauty of Christ in others' lives? That's what consideration, that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. But it doesn't stop at just consideration. He says, you also stir up, or maybe in some of your translations it says to spur on. Now, some of you, you're going to like this one because the word stir up here means to irritate. Okay, you're like, I got this one, right? You're like, I also can identify who irritates me, right? You particularly right now, Kyle, right? Stirring up is the idea of a sharp confrontation. Like you and I know that we don't have it all figured out, correct? Like let's just acknowledge that. That we need each other to irritate those areas in our lives that we don't want irritated. That we don't want pushed or prodded in. That we need to be around people that we trust, that we love, that we're running together after the mission of Christ with. That will actually step into those areas that I don't want them to, but I need them to. You and I need that. If we have any hope of whole life discipleship in our lives, it's going to mean that people have to stir us up. People have to get into those areas and those spaces and those places of our life and that proximity intimately that they'll irritate us. And we're going to go, oh, I'm so frustrated with you. It may take a few bit, you know. And I go, but I know that's for my good because it's helping me see the beauty and glory of God more and more. It's drawing me away from myself and more and more to Jesus. Now hear me. 
you need to be around people who don't look like you to accomplish this. Who don't have the same income level as you. Who are not at the same life stage as you. Who don't vote like you. Who don't have the same cultural perspectives as you. Because I need to see things from a different angle. We need to see things from a different angle. And here's one of the downfalls and pitfalls our church included in this. Is that we have traded in unity for uniformity. And we said, here's what we need. We just need to be a sounding, you know, we just need, everything just needs to be agreed upon. We all agree, right? Yes, yes, oh yes, oh yes, okay, yes, brother, sister, yes, yes, we agree. No, listen, that is not unity in the body. It's that I would sit across from someone who doesn't look like me, who doesn't have maybe the same mindset or life stage as me, and they would push back on things in my life. I would hear perspectives from their life that caused me to look at the diamond of Christ's love at a different way. And whereas maybe before I'd want to trumpet my mouth as if I know I might be silenced by their word and by their wisdom and my submission of my life to them because I'm in community with them. So I'm not saying you practice this with just anyone. I'm saying this is what a true picture of a unified body look like. I said I'm sitting across not just from married folks all the time, but I'm sitting, sitting with a, a widow. I'm sitting with someone who, who's single, who's not married yet, who has kids, who doesn't have kids. Somebody who, who, who has the same skin color as me, people who don't have the same skin color as me. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't want to surround myself, nor should you, because it's one of the scariest places to be, with just an echo chamber. That's not what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a unified body made up of different parts and different people and different components so that the wisdom of God and the beauty of God and what he wants to display is on actual front and center display in the church. It's missing so often. Fourth, he ends it with this in the section we read. He says, now, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Listen, whole life discipleship will wither. Gospel community will wither. If all we're doing is irritating one another, okay? Prodding and poking and doing those things and not encouraging and not speaking life and speaking Christ into people's lives, calling up and out their gifts, Right? Like this doesn't just happen through mere church attendance, right? You don't get this kind of encouragement through podcasts or digital discipleship, if that's even a thing, which I don't think is a thing. You don't get this with with conferences. We need incarnational, embodied ministry. We have to be part of something that we feel and touch flesh and blood. Listen, I realize the season that we're coming through and we're walking through right now where there's there's this kind of digital thing that is required and all of those things. But listen, the church is flesh and blood. It is meant to be embodied. It's meant to be lived and shared together because that is where true, listen, true encouragement is found. Not just this just generic encouragement, but true encouragement where I can look at you and you can look at me and we can speak with a, a confidence, with a Holy Spirit confidence to one another and call out the encouraging things God is doing in our lives. Listen, I think maybe a lot of us, myself included, are feeling the effects over this last season of spiritual starvation. Anyone else? Like all the things. Where it's like it has burned through the spiritual fat of my life and now it's beginning to eat away at the muscle. And I feel it. And I'm weary 
and I'm tired. The only remedy to that, hear me, the only way we go from starving, starvation, is that we find ourselves participating in a community, not warming a seat on a Sunday morning. Participation. Getting into one another's lives, worshiping together, yes, on a Sunday morning, but meeting together regularly, informal, formal times, praying together, and then working. And this is it. This is where I'll end. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. All of this is for naught if it's not visible. If it's not seen in the culture, in the community around us. Listen, this is not just good works internally. This is good works externally, right? Listen, this is not just, and and listen, we need to be caring. We need to be loving each other, right? They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I get that. But this is also love in good works outside of this, that the church, I love what one theologian says, is that it's, it's a pearl. The church can be seen as a pearl. Something is beautiful in of itself, treasured and perfect. And it's also leaven. It's meant to spread and go out. It's meant to be visible. It's meant to be seen and tasted. It's meant to be embodied. It's meant to be relational. That's the power and the beauty of the church. And listen, if we have any hope in this culture, if we have any, any shot at seeing things the way God sees them, it's going to take a church that really believes that really understands what God is calling us to when he calls us together. If we're really going to be a community where his manifold wisdom is on display, we do it on his terms. Not our own. Not by producing more services. Not by preaching better services. But by connecting our lives together through the power of the Holy Spirit. By submitting to one another. By submitting to this local faith family. By honoring Jesus above all else. Um, This week coming up, um, we're calling our church, our local church, to a week of fasting and prayer. And um, this is something we do year after year, but I, I don't know if there has been a year where this is not more timely. If there's been a moment where this is more critical for us to humble ourselves. And seek God. Um, in our 9 a.m., listen, um, and that's maybe why I seem somewhat distracted. Like, we, we, didn't, we didn't make it to this, this place of preaching the word as I just did for you. We, we didn't get there. And uh, part of me is at war with that. But the part of me that wants to stick to my agenda and not what we said, right? And when we sing, like, the one that wants to stick to my script was at war. But God had other plans. God wanted us in that moment, in that collective gathering, to just fall on our faces and to seek him. To go after him as the church in that space, in that place. For us, the Lord saw something different in this place, in this space. However, hear me, the conclusion or the end of both of that and of this is the same. That we want to find ourselves on our knees seeking God, petitioning God, asking Him to move and to heal. 
Uh, one pastor, he, he recently said, and I love this, he said, the prophetic voice of the church is going to be this. The prophetic edge of the church is going to be this. Calm. Calm. A people who are calmed by the presence of God, by his nearness. Now listen, don't, don't excuse or think that calm and apathy are synonyms. Don't think that passivity and calm are synonyms. But calm that comes from the spirit of the living God being over a people and in a people who are not scared or afraid to wade into waters that are choppy, but a people who dare not wade into those waters until they have been found on their knees, desperately pleading and calling for God to move before them and go before them. Listen, church, we have work to do. And the work that God has called us to do, one to another, with each other, is to seek his face. He says, when you humbly seek me, I will come and I will heal your land. You know the land, right, in that is not the cultural land. That's not America. That's the land of the church. I'll heal the church. You see, that the prophetic voice of the church is calm. You say, well, there are some moments I see Jesus and he wasn't very calm. You want to know where Jesus lost his cool, right? You want to know where Jesus lost his calm? It wasn't in the civic center. It was in the church. Where did he flip tables? In the church. Where do we want to lose our calm? In the church. We want to call each other. We want to stir each other up. We want to encourage one another and go, listen, the only thing that is going to change is that if we draw near to the presence of God and we see him truly for who he is, that's it. We get a hold of him and then we can go from here as leaven. Then we can go from here as a true witness and picture of his manifold wisdom on display, not just us as individuals, but us corporately. Whether by many or by few, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so that's how we're going to end today. Seeking God's face in his presence. Lamenting, repenting, posturing our hearts as we go into this week of fasting and prayer. And listen, we, we are called, we're asking our whole faith family to do this with us. Right? If it's one meal, great. It's one meal seeking God. If it's the whole week, great. Go with us. Let's go the whole week. Okay? Together, seeking God, not as just individual, isolated people, but as a community hungry for more of God. As chaos surrounds, as confusion abounds among us, the clarity we need is from King Jesus. We don't need, we don't need better political systems or politicians. We need a better view of who our God is that he is still on his throne, that he is supreme, that he is sovereign over all things. And God, forgive us. I think that was an applause or somebody's like, wrap it up. So can we pray, church? And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kneel. And if you can kneel, I'd love for you to join me. If not, or you don't want to, that's fine as well. But let's seek God together. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, we are a desperate and needy people. 
God, I ask for forgiveness on behalf of the Parks Church. God, we lament the brokenness that has been caused in and through our apathy. God, we lament the state of the world and the nation in which we live. We lament the condition of the church, the condition of your your bride here before us. Lord, but we know that you are sanctifying her. We know that you are making her more beautiful. And oh God, how we long to be a part of that. Oh God, we repent of God neglecting the things that you have called us to and into. We repent for prizing public office in earthly kings and kingdoms above your son, King Jesus. For thinking that they can provide what only he can. God, I am so guilty of putting my strength and my hope in earthly things. Draw our eyes, take our hearts off of those things and fix them upon Jesus. Help us to encourage and stir up and consider how we do that with each other, with this faith family. Oh God, and we ask, we ask that out of this church, out of the Parks Church, that we would be a symbol and a beacon of calm, not of apathy, not of complacency, not of just just accepting things how they are, but we would be a place of prophetic calm that is sure, God, that you are on your throne, that you are moving and that you are working. And God, that the place that you are most zealous over is your house. Oh God, make this not a den of robbers, but a house of prayer, a house of seeking, a house of your presence. Make our lives that. Make our marriages that. Make our, 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 our dwellings that. Make our workplaces and our schools that. Make every gathering we find ourselves in a place where we are centered upon you, O oh Lord. And God, I pray that you would save, that you would draw men and women and children and kids and students into this place by the saving power of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that we would consider others more highly than we consider ourselves. That we would see change is not about more mere knowledge gathering, but it's about transformation by your spirit. God, only you can do this. And so that's what we're asking. God, I thank you for this church. Those of us who are kneeled physically, those of us kneeling in our hearts in submission, Go before us, I pray this week. Go before us as a community, longing to be a picture of your manifold wisdom to this watching world. Let us love one another and love you well.